Let us pray and begin. Mighty God, everlasting Father, we are thankful. So we've come to our final session today, what we have learned, but also what is coming. We are inviting your spirit to be in this place, to move on every heart, every mind, and guide us into all truth. Teach us to understand your word. Give us love and interest in the Bible. But above all, Lord, help us to be faithful, is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so, okay. Welcome to seminar number four, Still When Your Fault Is Your Faithfulness. Faithfulness when it's the only thing wrong. Now, as we go through this, we're going to be going through a similar structure. For those of you who is your first time joining us, you may not be aware. We're going to start off by teaching you a specific Bible study method. And today's method, or this session's method, is going to be perspective switching, one of my favorites. I love it. I've literally preached sermons about pigs because of it. Really interesting. Now, next, we're going to give you time to practice. So those of you who know, we'll have some pen and paper available for you to practice and apply this method to our text, which will be Daniel chapter 6. Then Callie and I will give our insights utilizing that similar method. And then we will answer five questions in five minutes. More on that in a moment. And then we'll close. Now, here, if you don't know, scan this QR code or go to this particular web address. You can enter your questions throughout the course of the seminar. Submit those questions. We will submit it to our Shark Tank filter. And Callie will let us know whether you've been fired, cut, rejected, or accepted into the question list. Um, and you can submit those at any point in the seminar. And at the end, like we said, we'll try to do at least five questions in five minutes. We'll be ambitious. So that's the plan for today. Let's dive in to talk about perspective switching. Now, how many of you have ever heard of the concept of the danger of a single story? You guys have heard of that concept? Now, in this particular concept, it's because when you read a story, when you read the Bible, when you hear about an experience, right? Let's say your mom talks about your grandmother. The reality is the danger, the danger of a single story is that's just your mom's perspective. Well, my mom was hard. Your grandmother was this and that and the third, and that was her perspective. Then you talk to your aunt and your uncle. Oh, no, your grandmother was super sweet, loving, giving. You're like, okay, this is a little backwards. It's like you guys had two different parents. And the truth is you did. Because you had two different what? Perspectives. Perspectives. You were the oldest is way different than being the youngest. I'm the oldest of seven. Responsibility was very different. Then my youngest brother, like, brother didn't even have a job until he was, like, 20-something. I'm like, I was pulling weeds at, like, 9, 10, babysitting at 11. Got to make money because your parents were like, I'm not paying for anything. <laughs> you want something, you got to work. My younger brother, if you want something, you got to ask. <laughs> so, therefore, different perspectives as a result. So, with this particular method, this is where you want to first start by listing out who's in the story. So you want to identify each individual or group. Nameless characters also included. Sometimes people are known by their position. 
Like, for example, in the cross, when Jesus was being crucified, it just says, Pilate delivered Jesus to the soldiers. Do we know their names? But they crucified Jesus, didn't they? And why do you think they crucified Jesus? They were just doing their job. Can you imagine you commit a terrible atrocity like killing the God of the universe just because you're doing your job? From their perspective, what were they doing? Just doing what I'm told. So nameless characters included. Ins insignificant characters also included. This is super important. People you think are not significant. We're reading the book of Daniel, and there may be a perspective that totally unlocks the story in a completely different way. I'll give you another example of this, which is when Jesus fed the 5,000, what did he use to feed them? Five loaves, and where did he get it from? Who packed it for him? But you never hear about her in the story. By being a faithful mother, Jesus fed 5,000 people. Nobody else's mom prepared them lunch. But someone was like Callie, can be OCD, you know, be like, I got to make sure you got lunch. I know you want to follow Jesus, but take your lunch. And then you out here, everybody else is like, man, it's hot. Ooh, stomach growling. And then, boom, open up the basket. Kids ready to dig in. Does anybody have any food? Right? <laughs> take his lunch. He's like, sure, Jesus, you want to take my lunch? No problem. And then Jesus feeds 5,000. So you may think as a mom, I'm just preparing your little sandwich, your little lunch box. As you go to school every day and you think you're doing nothing significant, well, guess what? Feeding the 5,000 says otherwise. Obvious characters included. Daniel is an important perspective. And last but not least, God, Satan, angels, and even unfallen worlds. We need to remember that when you're reading Daniel chapter 6, there's a lot of people watching. We talk a lot of times about sports shows and games this was the most televised, blah, 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 in like 50 years. This game was watched by 50 million people. Guess what? Every moment of your life is a reality TV show for a billion, billion worlds. Your life. They read your life like you read Daniel chapter 6. Except some of us, it doesn't end with faithfulness. So again, perspectives matter. Now, as you list who, all the people in there, who's in the story, now what you want to do is study the text from their point of view. So when you go to practice, you're going to list your person, all the people in the text, all, anybody particular point of view, but then circle the person you're going to study with. But don't choose the obvious, easy answer. I would challenge you to choose someone you wouldn't naturally study the text from their perspective. Then, study, after you do that, utilize other passages to explore their point of view. So maybe they're mentioned somewhere else. Maybe they're mentioned in other parts of the book of Daniel, parts of the Bible. What is this group, this person or group experiencing? Do you agree with them? And if what, what do you agree with them about? Very, very important. The lost sheep's perspective from the sheep's view is very different than from the man who's the shepherd. Isn't that true? Very different experience. And if you read that parable from the sheep's view, you're going to get a completely different sermon and lesson from that. So, Callie, illustration. 
All right, go with me in your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 18. 1 Samuel. <laughs> thank you. Thank you for that. 1 <laughs> <First> Samuel <laughs> 18. Go start in verse 5. If you're there, please say amen. 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 Right, we got about 8, 10 people there. <laughs> All right, 1 Samuel 18, verse 5, the Bible says, So David went out wherever Saul sent him and behaved wisely. And Saul set him over the men of war, and he was accepted in the sight of all the people and also in the sight of Saul's servants. Now it happened as they were coming home when David was returning from the slaughter of the Philistine that the women had come out of all the cities of Israel singing and dancing to meet King Saul, with tambourines, with joy, and with musical instruments. Verse 7. So the women sang as they danced and said, Saul has slain his thousands, and David, how many? His ten thousands. Then Saul was very angry, and the saying displeased him. And he said, They have ascribed to David ten thousands, and to me they have ascribed only thousands. Now what more can he have but the kingdom? So Saul eyed David from that day forward. Mm. There's, three, there's more than three perspectives that we can look at here, but I want to point out three in particular. We'll start with the most obvious, the main character of a lot of these passages throughout 1 Samuel, and that's David. David has been brought into this military. He is bringing down the enemies of God. He is doing God's work, and he is doing it well. Mm-hmm. And Saul doesn't respond very well to that. A few verses after we stop, verse 9, it says in verse 10, so this is after Saul eyed David from that day forward. Verse 10 says, And it happened on the next day that the distressing spirit from God came upon Saul, and he prophesied inside the house. So David played music with his hand as at other times, but there was a spear in Saul's hand. And Saul cast the spear, for he said, I will pin David to the wall. But David escaped his presence twice. David has been taken from being a shepherd, where he was serving God there, he was making music, he was taking care, he was being faithful, but then he was called into Saul's palace, and he served Saul well. So well, the women were singing about how great he was. Why was his excellence taken as a threat? Mm. Why was David being punished for just being excellent? Think about it from David's perspective. What was he supposed to do? Like not kill the Philistines? Be like, oh, sorry. I only <laughs> killed like 500, so you won't sing songs about me. Mm. Is he supposed to be unexcellent because somebody is threatened by his excellence? Is he supposed to just go back home and defy the king? Well, then that, the king will probably kill his family. So uh, what, what is a guy to do? Right. So from, da- from David's perspective, he is faithful, but he is being punished for his faithfulness. Mm. He is being punished for his excellence. Now let's look at somebody else's perspective. Saul's. Saul was called by God. And in verse 6, it even says, when the women came out, their purpose was to meet King Saul. So Saul is coming back from war. All these people, all of his enemies have been slain. It's a good day. But then he starts hearing some music playing. And he listens a little bit too closely to the words. Saul has slain his thousands, but David, his ten thousands. Verse 8, then Saul was very angry. 
Now I can go in about how Saul just needed to remember that he needed to just follow God. This is his own <laughs> fault, right? We know that. But how do I react when someone surpasses me? How do I react when somebody is better than me at something? How do I react when somebody's like, oh yeah, Callie, like your sermon was super powerful, but have you heard this preacher? Like this person is life-changing over here. Mm. Like it's, it's funny, like, oh, we don't compare ourselves. Like we're doing the Lord's work. Okay. <laughs> we are all tempted by all these things. And so we can see Saul and say, like Saul was just so ridiculous. He needed to get over himself. He was so proud. He just needed to submit to God. Yeah, you and me both. You and me both. And what's interesting is Saul doesn't ask any questions, probably because he knows the answers. Right? He's not like, man, that's so weird. (laughs) I wonder why David was able to kill 10,000 and me only 1,000. Maybe I should think about that. (laughs) Right. I wonder if it's maybe because I'm not walking with God anymore. So when I notice a disparity between myself and someone else, do I get angry or do I get curious? Do I say, Jesus, you know, I really feel like you can do more with me and you're not. Is there something that I'm holding on to that you'd like me to give back to you? Is there something that I'm not surrendering to you? Is there something I'm not seeing that you're speaking to me? I'm sorry, I'm not listening. Please open my eyes that I may see and give me the heart to obey. Mm-hmm. What if Saul would have responded that way? What if Saul, instead of, instead of comparing himself as a way to get angry and to get paranoid and to get controlling, he got curious and he got submissive? Yeah. One more perspective. The women. The women came out and were singing the song, and they knew King Saul was there. They were coming out for King Saul, and they chose to sing the words, <laughs> Saul has slain his thousands. And David, his ten thousands. Girl, David. (laughs) Do I realize the impact of my praise? Do I realize the impact of my words and what I choose to say in the context in which I say it? Am I paying attention to the context in which God has placed me? I'll tell you right now, one of a Bible verse, skipping ahead to next session. A Bible verse I pray almost, probably almost say a solid 20 times a day, is Psalm 141.3. Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth, and keep watch over the door of my lips. Do I ascribe glory to people that belongs to God? The only reason David was even able to kill 10,000 of the enemies of God was because God was enabling him. God gave him the power, the strength, the courage, the physical parts of who he was, everything. But the women said, oh, they came back from battle. Man, David's the best. Saul's pretty cool. David's the best. (laughs) But it says, like, glory to God for delivering us. Now, I want to be clear. It is not the women's fault that Saul went down the path that he did. (laughs) That was a Saul decision, plain and simple. But do we realize the impact in what we bring out in people by what we say? By how we praise. All praise is good. No, it's not. Yeah, true. And so this is the same story, but all these different lessons. And there's more people. There's Saul's servants. There's like other people we can see. 
But just from these three perspectives, we can bring out these lessons by studying the passage from David, from Saul, and even from the unnamed women who were singing praise as they came through the city gates. Amen. Beautiful. You are now going to begin practicing. So if you have paper, pen, iPad, whatever you're using, we do have paper and pen, I think. We do? Okay. Um, so what we want you to do is to practice this perspective switching with Daniel chapter 6. So what we want you to first do is identify every single person and group in the text, the smallest, insignificant, whoever. Identify them, write them down. Then I want you to search, circle one of them at least. You can do more than one, but at least circle one that you're going to now go through this story from their perspective. And there may be details as a hint that your character would not have known in the story. So it would change their perspective because they might not have known that conversation. So Daniel chapter six, make sure you pray before you begin. Always, always as you read the word of God. All right. So let's get to it. Got it. All right. We're going to come back together. Unfortunately, I know we even gave you guys extra time. So let's come back together. Did you guys enjoy that practice? Yeah. So perspective switching is super, super valuable. Now, <clears throat> again, when your fault is your faithfulness, sometimes your faithfulness gets you in trouble. So I want you to think about from different people's perspectives in this particular text. You got Daniel, you got the king, right? Did anybody choose the king's perspective to study? That's a pretty interesting perspective, isn't it? You learn a lot when you think about it from his perspective. That, you know, he's just going through and how sometimes your pride can get your friends in trouble. So here he is, he's just being the king, Daniel's great, I'm not suffering any loss, but Daniel is suffering, thrown into the lion's den because of you. And all because of his arrogance. Oh king, live forever, we don't want anybody to pray to anybody else, any other god, any other man except you. Oh, why, why, why? you know, I, I, I would never request such a, no, no, all of us governors have met, we request the law. All of them. We're thronging before you, right? It's like when you're doing something as a parent and all of your kids show up and it's like, please, please, please. It's like they're harmonizing, right? <laughs> and then it's like, well, saying no to one kid is different than saying no to all of them. right? And I got a lot of kids, so it's even more difficult. So in this sense, they're thronging before the king. And again, as the king is responding to them, he's not even thinking about who? He's not even thinking about Daniel. So someone, listen to this very carefully, someone in a position of power can make a decision that adversely affects you and it was never their intention. But you know, if some of us were Daniel, we'd be keeping receipts. And you know it's true. Like, hold on, bruh. 
I'm like the top official in the country. I've been making sure you suffer no loss. Then you go and pass this law? And, you did, and I wasn't even at the meeting. We all have decided, we all, all, where's Daniel? You ain't asked that question because you were so vain looking at yourself. You're right, I, I am a god. People should be praying to me for 30 days. No one else. I'm a monstrosity to the earth. So I deserve to be worshipped at least 30 days. He don't want a holiday. The brother want a whole month. <laughs> but in this very experience, from the perspective of the king, that was his accident. From Daniel's perspective, he's just trying to be faithful to God and to his country. You think Daniel wants to work for Darius? What do you think? Do you think he wants to work for Darius? No. You think that was his career ambition when he was a kid? What do you want to do, little Daniel? I want to work for the king of Persia when he conquers us. That's my dream. Oh, isn't that cute? Join us at the University of Jerusalem. It's like where you could work for Darius. It's like, no, that's totally not what his perspective was. So what if you're working for someone you do not want to work for, who does not agree with your values, would you serve them as faithfully? And then they make a decision that puts you in danger. Now here's the last piece to this. Daniel went up in his house. There are other people that live there, right? Nearby. So I want you to think about the other perspectives of the people nearby Daniel. He's going into his house. He's opening the window. <laughs> and he's kneeling down and praying three times a day, as he always did. So there's someone next door who, like, gets the law, right? They open the mail, check their email, bloop, bloop, bloop. They get, like, amber alert. Do not worship or pray to anyone but the king. Blah, blah, blah. It's like, oh, and then they're like, wait, well, you know, Daniel, he normally prays every day around this time. But as a high-ranking official, he has everything to lose. And the law of the Medes cannot be changed. So there was someone, you know, she was there at the dishes, washing, looking out the window. I wonder if Daniel's going to open up that window and pray. But, you know, secretly, I believe... She was hoping that he would. There was someone watching Daniel. Because the only fault you could find with him was his faithfulness. Do you know sometimes you do the right thing and you still suffer? But you know there's people watching. Unbeknownst to you. You may not know that your neighbors can see your light come on at 7 a.m. every morning to do your devotion. They're warming up their car and they can hear you singing. You may not know that someone at your job watches as you unpack your stuff and they notice your Bible come out of your purse. And they're watching you. And as circumstances change, they're looking to see, are you going to continue to be the same person? 
when the only problem people have with you is your faithfulness to your God. That's your only fault. And from their perspective, they're hoping that you would remain faithful. And when Darius went to sleep, he said, surely, Daniel, your God who you serve faithfully will deliver you. So when we go through this story about the faithfulness of Daniel from all these different perspectives, the king, the other governors from Daniel's perspective, he doesn't show bitterness. He doesn't keep receipts. He doesn't say when he comes out of the lion's den, good riddance, get rid of the king too. Nope, he doesn't do that. And all the other people around who knew who Daniel was and wondered, would he continue to open that window and pray? And there he was again which is what made him trustworthy to the king and to everyone else in the nation. This is why they knew they could trust him. Do you know sometimes people will judge your professional trustworthiness based on your spiritual trustworthiness? If you're willing to give up on the Sabbath just to make extra money or because you're afraid of losing this job, I can't trust you. Because you're a person, as soon as it gets hot and difficult, you're going to bail. Well, if you're going to do it on God, for sure you're going to do it to AT&T. <laughs> Amen. Am I telling the truth? Like, bro, you won't even keep the Sabbath for Jesus. He's your God. <laughs> like, I'm just your boss. Like, for sure you'll bail on me. So in the world's mind, they're waiting for us to be a people in which our only fault is our faithfulness. If you're going to find something against them, it's only going to be what? In their faithfulness. They're going to consistently do exactly what they've always done. Law or no law. Then, no then. They are the same. And sometimes you're going to suffer because you did the right thing. But from the perspective of other people, that's actually giving them hope. It's giving God an opportunity to work a miracle. So, how much time we got? Okay. <laughs> so here's the last thing I want to throw out. And this was a discussion I was having with someone. So I do want to highlight it because I want to talk about insignificant characters when you're doing perspective switching in your Bible study. So in this particular story, when they are destroyed in Daniel chapter 6, I want you to turn there with me. When Daniel is freed from the lions, and you could do from the lion's perspective, by the way. You want me to talk about that? <laughs> They're like, please tell us about the lions. So Daniel chapter 6, when Daniel is taken out of the lion's den, right, the king was super glad in verse 23, verse 24, and the king commanded, and they brought those men which had what? 
accuse Daniel and they cast them into the den of lions. No problem. Them, their children, and their wives, and the lions had the mastery of them and break all their bones in pieces or ever they came at the bottom of the den. Meaning, before they even hit the ground. They were still in the air. The lions were so ferocious, they jumped in the air to crush your bones. Whoo! I mean, this brother was sleeping on those lions. These lions are like, before you even hit the ground. <laughs> now, their wives and children. You say they're innocent, right? Well, you got to realize culturally, this goes back to our previous session, speaking truth to power. Your husband starts going down the wrong road. Be like, look, this don't just affect you. You better know what you're talking about. And then the children, he just coming home from school, right? Babylonia Academy. <laughs> he trying to do his homework. And all of a sudden, police show up. Come with us, sir. What? What are you talking about? Nope, come with us. Then you're getting bound up. And you're looking at your dad saying, Daddy, what's going on? Explain that one to your kids. So now you realize your own jealousy, your own wickedness can destroy even your family's lives, not just here on earth, but even eternally. You know how many young people Callie and I have to minister to because their parents destroyed their faith? Am I telling the truth? I've sat in many academies throughout the world of seven-day Adventism, and kids tell me, when I turn 18, I'm out this church. Tell me why. Be honest with me. I can take it. They're like, all right, sure. You want to hear it? I'll tell you. My mom says this and this, but we're at the church, right? She's weeping at the altar. I love Jesus. Didn't I? Then she's coming home cursing people out, selfish, narcissistic. My dad knew about the stuff that's going on at home, but he's an elder. But we all know that my dad was doing some inappropriate stuff. That my dad, I've never seen him read the Bible at home. And you think because of your own jealousy, your own issues, it only affects you. But clearly, wives and children are being thrown to lions because of jealous fathers and husbands. So you don't think it matters who you marry? I mean, I don't know about you, but if I were a woman, I would not want to be married to a man who might lead me to be thrown to a group of lions. Amen? Amen. I would not want to have a father who might lead me to be thrown to a group of lions. He would make that type of mistake and decision. But this also weighs upon us as men, as husbands and fathers. Your decisions, your life is not just about you. That's a thing coming out of your faithfulness blesses your family, but it also curses them if you're unfaithful. So in Daniel, from their perspectives, I had nothing to do with this. But did it matter? It didn't. It didn't matter. But the wife is probably thinking, I should have told him that's a bad idea. Is that how we do business now? 
Is that how you're going to make laws based on jealousy? Daniel has actually benefited the country. Why are you destroying him? Well, I don't know why he's being promoted as the premier. It should be me. It should be da-da-da-da-da. You're making enough money. What else you want? Unless you're stealing money, honey. And Daniel is the one catching it. So he's now about to expose not only you, but expose us that we robbing the king. Woo. Now you got a conspiracy on your hands. That's why they all showed up before the king. Because they all knew if Daniel continues to do his job, well, we all going to be exposed. Because your only fault is your what? Your faithfulness. May that be true for us. Amen. All right. Let's go to our questions. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Um, We have time for one question. (laughs) But it's okay. We love Sebastian. We praise God for Sebastian. Amen. 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 We praise God for Sebastian. Okay. (laughs) I'll keep it short. Keep it short. (laughs) It's okay. What do you think about listening to non-Adventist preachers and sermons? Sometimes I like to listen, but then they say something theologically incorrect, and I'm like, eh. (laughs) Totally fine. I I listen to Adventist preachers who say some unbiblical stuff, too. Wait, am I being recorded? (laughs) Like... I'm, I'm totally joking. <laughs> it's, it's true. So the point is, the only way to discern the truth is by the word of God. I don't care if they're Adventists or not Adventists. When I preach, when my favorite preacher used to preach, C.D. Brooks, he used to tell you the same thing. How do you know I'm not out here fooling you? I know I'm charismatic. I know I can be intellectual and smart and tell you a whole bunch, and bombard you with a whole bunch of information and text. You need to go study for yourself. Why do you think we're doing the seminar the way we do it? So absolutely, you can listen to other preachers, and guess what? We don't have a monopoly on all truth. Hello. Amen. See, folks get quiet then. You don't even realize many of your theologians studied the theological writings of other denominational theologians, which is how some of us got in trouble. That's John Peckham's seminar, in case you want to check that out. I read his books. So I'm telling you, 1,000%, totally fine. It's just stick to this. You'll be fine. And on top of that, as opposed to other denominations, we also have the spirit of prophecy. (sighs) God has blessed us. Amen. 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 I would say just one other thing to add is kind of the, the implied question there is that anybody who's Adventist is like, it should just go straight to your brain, no filter, right? Just like take it as a straight IV. Mm, um, I would say don't dome. do that either, <laughs> right? No. And so just like we shouldn't avoid, we shouldn't give anybody besides Jesus himself straight access yes. to this just gets filed away as truth, only if that's in Scripture. Love it. So I want to keep that as well. That's right, Cal. Okay. People okay. taking it to okay. the dome. All right. <laughs> <laughs> if y'all will please stand with us as we pray and close out our sessions for the day. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we want to ask your forgiveness. Because in some way, our unfaithfulness has affected someone else. Sometimes our pride, our vanity, 
and inadvertently we have hurt someone we deeply cared about. So we understand King Darius's experience. And he did everything he possibly could to change the situation. But his guilt kept him up all night. He had to trust the situation to God. Lord, we also think about Daniel's experience. And Lord, from his view, he was nothing but faithful. And yet here he was again, even in his old age, being subjected to yet another test. But Lord, help us to be like Daniel. To continue to be faithful, even if our faithfulness becomes our only fault. But may our consistency never degenerate into selfish obstinacy. May our zeal never become passion. And may we be able to not only have all-absorbing devotion to God, but tender love for men just as Christ did. And Lord, when those moments come, may we be confident that you will stop the mouths of lions, that you will send your angel to keep us, not out of the den, but within the den. Is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. This message was recorded in partnership with Audio Burst and GYC Conference, but if not, in Portland, Oregon. GYC is a supportive ministry of the Seventh-day Adventist Church and seeks to challenge and inspire young people to take sacrificial initiative for Christ and to see Jesus finish the work in this generation. For other resources like this, visit us online at gycweb.org.